Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. We often have opportunities to be guests on other podcasts, and we've had some great conversations. We would hate for you to miss them. Because we're taking the month of July off from recording new episodes, we thought it would be the perfect time to share some of those interviews with you right here on our podcast. This is one of our favorites. We hope you enjoy it. This is Jamie Finn from Foster the Family, and this is The Real Mom Podcast. After a very long break, we are back with The Real Mom Podcast. It is season two. Episode one of season two. And today I am talking to Lisa Qualls, who is one of my very favorite people to learn from, to listen to, to hear from. She is, she checks every box foster, adoptive, birth mom, biological mom, former foster youth, and she is just a wealth of wisdom and a beautiful source of learning what it looks like to follow Jesus as a foster and adoptive mom. So here is season two, episode one of the Real Mom Podcast. Today I am talking to Lisa Qualls, and Lisa isn't easily defined by any of the normal labels, so I'm just going to jump right in and ask her to sort of define herself. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Jamie. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Good. So, all right, let's go through the different labels that you could put ahead of mom and child and all of that. Okay. Well, I am a mom by birth. I gave birth to a bunch of my kids. I'm a mom through international adoption, and I'm also a foster mom. So, and to get even more interesting, which maybe we'll talk about a bit, I'm also a birth mom and a former foster youth. So there you go. That's pretty much everything. So this is going to be a privilege for me because I feel, to be honest, this whole podcast, the the point of it all along was for me to basically get to talk to moms like you and learn for myself. So you really come, you have a very well-rounded perspective. You yes. really have a full understanding of, of all of the different roles in what we're doing. How did that um, affect your journey into all of this? I'm sure in a huge way. Yeah. Yeah. In a huge way. You know, honestly, becoming an adoptive mom in some ways is a really a God thing that God had to reach into my heart and change a lot of my feelings and beliefs about adoption because I had been so wounded by it. Hmm. Um, you know, my son was born when I was a young teenager. I did not willingly place him for adoption. There wasn't an adoption plan you know, this was, he was born at the very, very end of the 70s, which gives you an idea of how old I am. But um, <laughs> anyhow, like when you watch This Is Us, that's like the age of my son. Mm. And so um, open adoptions were starting, but not through Catholic um, children's services. So it was closed. I had a little bit of information, but it was profoundly devastating and shaped my life in many, many ways. So there was a time when I felt sort of positive about adoption. Then I went through a very long time of feeling very angry and very, um, very wounded by it. So 
when we actually began our adoption process that it came as such a huge surprise for me because I was always very, very passionate about children. And um, some of our closest friends decided to adopt from Ethiopia. And this was back in 2006. And so the crisis there was very large. I mean, it's still quite significant, but it was at the beginning more of when people were beginning to adopt from Ethiopia. And um, it came as such a surprise. I actually knew that I would probably lose some friends in Mm. my part of the adoption community, the part that was, you know, advocating for adoptee rights and for birth mother rights. I mean, this was, these were my people. Mm. And my closest friend at the time was an adult adoptee, wonderful relationship with her parents, pretty good reunion with birth family. But she said to me when I told her, I said, you know, I think we're going to adopt. She said, wow, you're crossing over to the dark side. Wow. Yeah. And that's how it felt in a lot of ways. I just, but I mean, God redeemed and restored so much. I mean, it's a long story, but it's very powerful about how God did not allow me to stay in my bitterness and my woundedness. Hmm. He brought me to a whole new place where I was, it wasn't at all difficult to love my new children. It was this idea of becoming an adoptive mom was a stretch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I think that that is one reason why your voice is so important and so well-rounded. I mean, the reality of crossing over to the dark side, it shouldn't feel that way because we should so all be on the same side of this. And I think it's voices like yours that, that are helping bridge that, which is really beautiful and important. So I'm guessing that that the journey into foster care wasn't really expected either. It wasn't at all. In fact, we were not, we, we thought we might be foster parents someday. And I actually had always had this desire that maybe we would foster a pregnant teen or a young teen mom and foster she and her baby together so that we could help them have what I did not have and help them help her learn how to be a mom for her baby and But that was something we thought might happen way down the road. And we had gone through a terrible loss of losing one of our daughters in an accident. And um, we were still very much in grief. And in some ways, we still are, you know. And I remember thinking, someday, when we've processed more of our loss and our grief and we're okay again, then maybe we will become foster parents. But in the meantime, I started a ministry at my church to support foster families And in that process, I got to know some of the workers for the department, and um, they asked if I would bring a teen daughter home for one night, a teen girl. (laughs) One night. One night. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And she came for a night, and then she stayed for two nights, and then two weeks. Hmm. And then it was going to, if we had not said yes, she would have been moved again to another town about an hour and 45 minutes away, which would have put her nearly four hours from her home. And she would have had to be in a third high school. And we just felt that that would be such a a really, really hard thing for her. And that by then we got to know her a little bit and we were feeling good and felt like, you know, we could definitely um, parent her for a time. And the other thing is she had already been in care for, uh, 
at that point, about nine months. And so, you know, in the state of Idaho, the guideline is 15 months. And so we thought, well, you know, this will probably be six months or so, which I remember Mike Berry said to me, he said, Lisa, whatever they tell you, add three years. And she's been with us, (laughs) she's been with us two and a half years now. So we love her. Wow. Yeah. I love that because I, you know, I think it's important that we don't say yes to things that we can't handle. Um, that we know isn't, you know, really what we're called to. But I, every time I say that, I find myself saying the opposite also, which mm-hmm. is this isn't about us being comfortable. It's not about what we think we can do, that God calls us into the scary and into things that we never thought. And sometimes that small obedience of, sure, she can stay one night mm-hmm. into two years of you having such an immense impact on a girl's life. I, when you adopted your children, they, what were their ages? I mean, this is the first time bringing a teenager into your home, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. We, but our kids, some of them were older. So when we went, we went to Ethiopia at the beginning of 2007 and brought home three children. Um, Well, we brought home our, our little boy who at that point was 23 months. Our baby was five months and then our daughter, Calcidon, was five and a half. And she, at that time, um, so she was living with HIV. And at that time, kids with HIV or anybody with HIV had to fill out a waiver to get a visa to come into the U.S. And so the process in adoption was that we were able to go and meet her. But then we had to submit another whole packet mm-hmm. of paperwork to prove that we could care for her health needs and different things. And, and then we had no idea how long the wait would be from the time we met her and went home to when we actually were able to go back and get her. And it turned out to be faster than actually we expected. The boys came home in February and she came home late May. Okay. And (laughs) it's just so funny to hear you say, I didn't think I would ever adopt. And then it's (laughs) international adoption, three children, special medical needs. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and then, yeah, we met our other daughter when we were there. So at the orphanage, we met another little girl. And so we went back for her a little over a year later. And she came home at 10. She was over 10 when she came home. Okay. So mm-hmm. you brought four children home within mm-hmm. a year. Uh, it was more like or about 16 months yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And your family jumped from how many children to how many? Well, at home at that point, we had seven at home and we added four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So let me ask what I know everyone is thinking, which is what, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what? take me through the journey of, okay, we already have seven children, but we feel like this is what God is calling us to. I mean, how does that get placed in your heart and what does it look like to step out in obedience to that? Well, it's kind of funny because I was a homeschooler. I was homeschooling all my kids at that point. And of course, yeah, of course they, they were, I had teenagers and they were getting older, but my youngest was three in 2006. And I remember thinking, wow, life feels pretty okay. You know, like it's not, I didn't have babies. I wasn't, you know, uh, nursing. I wasn't up at night, nothing like that. And I thought, 
I literally was thinking, I wonder what God wants me to do, which sometimes seems funny because I was homeschooling and I had seven kids, but I felt that there was something else. And honestly, um, I considered going to midwifery school at that point. I had a friend who wanted to do that and I had done some study and training years before when we lived back East and um, I really considered it. And then I got this phone call from my friend and it just blew our world right open when she told us that they were adopting two little boys. And, and I felt like this burning passion in my heart, you know, that this was something that we could do and we should do. And I mean, I was already home full time caring for so many kids and I loved being a mom and it was something I felt I was pretty good at and life was pretty stable. We had this really loving family. We thought, you know, this is something we could offer to other children. We could bring children into our family and it would flow with what we're already doing is what we thought. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like how it probably actually played out. (laughs) No, that's not quite how it played out. But, you know, we um, decided to adopt two little boys younger than our youngest daughter. We wanted to stay in birth order. It made sense to us. And we had two, our youngest two were girls. And we thought, you know, and also we had heard that girls were more requested. And we're like, well, we, we like girls. We like boys. We have lots of each. So we decided to request two little boys. And we were it was fine if they were siblings, unrelated, twins, anything. It turned out they were unrelated. But in the meantime, we um, began sponsoring a little girl at this orphanage for kids living with HIV. And that little girl, um, our friends went to meet her and take her a gift. And they were just really struck by her. And she was so amazing and beautiful and dynamic would be a really probably polite way to put her energy. She's a super high energy kid. And the nurse there at the orphanage told my friend that they were hoping we would adopt her, which was, we didn't even know it was possible to adopt a child with HIV at that point. Um, So we had a huge learning curve. And honestly, we knew that it would probably be too, too much for us. But we were compelled by God. I mean, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke deeply to us that this little girl needed us and that we were meant to bring her home and make her part of our family. So we did. Wow. Yeah. So it was literally just obedience to God <laughs> and it following was. him. It so was. I've, I've thought before, you know, my husband and I are having conversations about what our family looks like now, what it might look like in the future. And, mm-hmm. and if we would have said yes, if we fully understood what we were saying yes to, do you ever think that? And I know, I mean, I'm glossing over about half of what you're saying that I want to ask questions about, but mm-hmm. you, you have experienced loss. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but even just besides that, just there's no way you knew exactly what you were signing on for. (laughs) Have you you ever thought, how do you process through believing that the Holy Spirit spoke to you, what you should do, and then then what life has been sometimes, which is difficult and painful and beautiful. Well, we actually had have had had a very difficult journey with our daughter Calcidon. Um, and she her needs were extreme. And we, you know, we felt really prepared. Our oldest, we'd been parenting for 20 years at that point. Yeah, our yeah. oldest daughter was 20. 
we did all the training. We did, we read the books. I have a background. My degree is in psychology. I have a background in mental health. We really thought that we could handle anything. And the truth was we couldn't, you know, but for God giving us strength, we would never have survived, you know, and she required a lot of intervention. We tried many, many therapies with her. We traveled with her. We went to Seattle, which is about 300 miles round trip every other week for therapy for two years. We traveled to Nebraska for EMDR therapy. We did a lot of things. And even with all of that, we ended up needing to choose residential treatment for her. And, um, you know, I felt like that was the greatest failure of my life at that time. I felt like I had failed her, that I'd failed the adoption community. You know, here I'd been blogging and promoting adoption. And, and you know, at first, it, I wasn't very open about our struggles. And then I became more and more open while still trying to guard my children's story, you know. Right. But residential treatment was just, it felt like such a blow. But honestly, it was a gift from God. I mean... Our daughter found so much healing there and um, grew in her faith Mm -hmm. and ended up coming home, having really, all of us having healed quite a lot. So I I forget where we started on that question, but. uh, Yeah, just just following God when you don't know where it's going to end up. And Yes. And, you know, probably I would say that our greatest joy is knowing that even in all of our failure and all of our weakness that we ha- are doing our very best to follow God's calling on our lives, that he called us to something really hard and, um, but he's good, you know, he's a good God and he knows what we're capable of and what we're not. And we have had so many times when we have clearly not had the strength to go on, but, God gave us what we needed in that time. And he did bring people to help us and surround us. And, you know, we're very, very thankful for our community and, and um, people who came alongside Calcadon and then later our other daughter, um, you know, just needed support and help. And so we've been really blessed by that. Yeah. I think, you know, we've talked before and you said, um, it's such a lie that God will only give us what we can handle. <laughs> and I think right. if we believe that, you know, it, we don't have a very good sense of scripture because God tells us, you know, mm-hmm. when we are weak, that's when we are strong. And to believe that we won't ever be brought to weakness, that we're somehow like not in God's will if things aren't going smoothly and sweet. And we really aren't having a very biblical um perspective of who God is. God doesn't just give us what we can handle because then it's in our weakness and in the, when we really meet our ending point that Mm -hmm. we see our need for him. I mean, I have a fairly large capacity, clearly not as large as yours (laughs) because I hit that point too, where, oh, five kids and homeschool. Yeah. We, anytime I feel like we've got it down, I feel the need to okay, now what are you calling us to God? Because I know that it's not this settled feeling. We don't live in a settled feeling ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found that it takes a little bit more maybe to bring me to my breaking point, Mm -hmm. but that God has sort of called me to a life of bringing me to my breaking point. And that it's really beautiful there. I mean, that that's where 
I most experience him and learn about him and, and grow and that the heart is what is often most beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about just a little bit more about what you were sharing about residential treatment. That's something that we haven't broached really at all here. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who's new to the community may be shocked by it. I Mm -hmm. remember, I mean, you just said it, it felt like the biggest failure to, to you. And, and when I was this, I'm going to save the world by adopting and I would have seen it as a failure. (laughs) And I've learned so much more about, about how, how deep the wounds of some of these children are and how related it can be to just being in a family. Can you elaborate whether it's just from your background, your expertise, but also your experience of what, what brought you to that and, and how you stepped into that? Yeah. So one of my best friends that I met through adoption, she's an adoptive mom. Also, um, we used to always joke, well, they're not in jail or residential treatments. So we're doing good, right? <laughs> and um, to us, those were the two worst things we can imagine. Right. Now, now that I've been in the adoption world and worked with so many families and supported families, the truth is neither of those are the worst thing in the world. They're hard and they're sad, but sometimes, I mean, God works in the hard and the sad, mm-hmm. right? He mm-hmm. works in the deepest, darkest places. And... Um, for for me, we just could not keep the kids safe. We couldn't keep Calcadon safe. We couldn't keep her siblings safe. She, um, we'd done inpatient psychiatric treatment twice. And after the second um, inpatient um, time, we just knew. We knew that we could not safely bring her home. And so at that point, we decided we would accept residential treatment. And we've been working with a psychologist who was sort of guiding us with our family. He wasn't working directly with the kids. He was really working with Russ and me and helping us. Mm -hmm. And he kept saying to us, you know, somebody is going to get hurt. It is not safe the way things are. And you need to change things before that happens. And fortunately, nobody did get, um, like physically injured, but there was a lot of hurt. And um, the residential treatment program where we were able to have Calcadon was really, okay, it was still super hard for me to let go of being her mom and let these people parent her. Wow, that was so hard. But the model of basically trust-based relationships and um the love that they have for the children and the quality of the program really um, made us feel better. But it was, even though it was the strangest sense, and th- these are hard words to admit, but it was the greatest relief in a sense to have, to not be in this battle every single day with Calcadon of trying to uh, help her regulate and protect everybody. So it was a relief and it was a tremendous grief. Because we were giving up our daughter, you know, to these people in this program. We had to trust them. And I found that to be very, very hard. So when, how did she process through it? I mean, how does she feel in this, we believe this is the best thing for you? Without- well, 
I don't even know the question I'm trying to ask because it's, <laughs> it's so deep and heavy, everything that you had to wrestle through. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially when what you've been, we had been working on for so long is you are ours, you exactly. belong to us. You we'll never give up on be you. Our daughter. That's right. We'll never give up. You will always be our daughter. And then to take her to a residential program, you know, she, she was angry and hurt for quite a while. She really was. But it wasn't really all that long before even she could begin to see that she needed the help that they were offering her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were working closely with them. You know, we would go for family weekends. It was in Montana, um, in Helena. And we would go for family weekends. We would do Skype counseling appointments. We would do, you know, phone calls. So it's not like we dropped her off and took a long break. It wasn't like that at all. You know, we stayed very connected. And I think the biggest, hardest thing for her was being able to overcome her truly deep terror of trusting family. You know, Um, she had been so wounded and so abused and so neglected and she was terrified to trust us and believe that we loved her. And that was the huge hurdle that she had to get over before we could really, really begin forming secure attachment with her. Hmm. So if you could share really quickly, just to Hmm. anyone who is in crisis right now with their adopted children, Hmm. just what would you say if you were sitting across from someone who was in crisis? Well, I do this a lot with some of the parent coaching and things that I do. I think, oh gosh, that's such a long answer. We could talk about that for a long, (laughs) long time. But I, one thing I talk about a lot with moms is first of all, how they are doing. Because when we are completely, completely living in this high level of crisis, uh, we get very depleted. And then it's how do you turn anything around when you are so exhausted, so depressed sometimes? A lot of women experience depression and anxiety. So I try to talk with them about how they're doing. But um, the other thing I talk a lot about is safety. Like, mm. is their family safe? Are the other siblings in the home, are the other children safe? If they're not safe, something has to change. And I don't know what that answer might be. It might be, it might be respite care. It might be a different kind of therapy. It might be like a kinship situation where a family member steps in to help for a time, but we have to keep our children safe. And that's sort of the very, very beginning where we start. That's good. That's, I feel sometimes so limited, um, my perspective, my experience is very limited. And I know that there are so many, so many foster and adoptive moms who are in crisis. And I think it's been a gift for me to just get to know, like I know you and others and have my, my eyes and my heart open to the reality of so many other parents. But I think that, that so many parents feel alone. Yes. And feel the shame, like you were talking about before of, you know, I failed here. And in my community, it's often more having to disrupt a placement Mm -hmm. and what it looks like to, to have to, or to say no to adoption, 
you know, as a foster parent, but I think that just hearing, uh, another person have to walk through it and to hear that they, you know, there is no perfect ending and there's no, um, like picture perfect story, but to see someone else walk through it and to see how God was faithful, I think can be really faith building. So tell me now, you know, a lot of this is what you were walking through in the past. What are you learning now as, you know, you continue to be a foster and adoptive mom? Well, because Calcadon, you know, um, went to be with the Lord, I feel freer to share her story mm. um, than I do my other kids. But we're still in some deep stuff with our kids. You know, children experience horrific, traumatic things, even when they're very, very small mm. sometimes. And um, even if it happened pre-verbally and they can't express it and stored in their brain as an implicit memory right, that, right. that maybe they can't speak about, it's still there. And the trauma that some of my kids experienced, it, it is with them, even though we're working hard on therapeutic things. So we still feel um, we're not, there's no danger in our family. And so that brings everything to a different level. Everybody is safe, but that doesn't mean it's not hard. And so we're still really in the thick of a lot of it, to be honest. So I love to you know, listen to different podcasts, read different books and all of that about interventions and therapies, but that's not really what this one is about. I want to know how are you processing through all of that? I could ask you what therapies are you pursuing and all of that. I want to know how do you process the through, through the fact that it's, it's been hard for a long time and it continues to be hard. What does that wrestling with God sort of look like for you? Well, I will say that in the deepest, darkest, hardest places, I have felt Jesus the most near. Mm. You know, I have never felt that he's left me. And Russ and I um, have really clung to the Lord. And it has not been easy. It's not been easy on our marriage. It's not been easy on our other children. Um, But God has been so good to us and really... When I always say that when we cannot hold on to him, we do not have the strength. It's okay because he's holding on to us. Yeah. He's not letting go of us. He's not leaving us. And so we've just clung to a lot of truth. And the truth is that God calls us to care for the widows and orphans. And he calls us to love the the hardest people and the, mm-hmm. the things that are hard. He does not, I just don't think God calls us to easy. And, you know, we touched on that earlier, but I was talking with a mom, a pastor's wife at a retreat where I spoke just recently. And she said, they've adopted two children from foster care. And she said, you know, there are people in their church who say to them, are you really sure you're in God's will? I mean, this just seems way too hard. And I said to her, I said, you know, they need to read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Great heroes of our faith have been called to the hard, the hardest. And so I think we just cling to that truth and we cling to the knowledge that we do not know the end of the story. We are in the middle of it, you know, and God knows the beginning to the end and he knows what our efforts, what fruit will come to bear. We don't know. And we have to accept that, that we don't know. And be willing to 
to know that he is loving and that he has, he has a plan. This is not random. Nothing is random for me. You know, he has a good plan. Oh, so good. That is, that is so good. And that (laughs) truth applies to, I don't care what your situation is. You could be a mom who's getting licensed and never, or you could be in the deepest, darkest, as you keep saying, Mm -hmm. that is the truth. Um, and that applies to all of us because it's bigger than us. It's not defined by our situations or our struggles. Mm -hmm. So I always have a hard time sort of switching gears here, um, because we're kind of wading through the heavy, but we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about you just as a woman, as a person, not just as Miss Foster Adoptive Mom. So I want to know about you. What are you doing in reading, watching, listening to? So what are you doing right now? And oh my well, goodness, I am so excited <laughs> to talk about this. Probably the biggest thing I'm doing other than parenting my kids is I am finishing a manuscript for my first book. And the manuscript is due this spring. It is uh, done to the point that someone will be reading through it and giving me some advice. And then I'll be making edits and they'll be submitting it to my publisher. Okay. You you have to give more dirt on this book. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. This book, I was so honored, incredibly honored to write with Dr. Karen Purvis, which that is like, yeah, how is that a thing? How I just can't believe that you are releasing a book with, of course, Dr. Karen Purvis is no longer with us. So even just being able to hear her voice again will be such a gift for us. Yes. But then to hear your voice as a parent and mm-hmm. how did this even come to fruition? I, my mind is blown. <laughs> <laughs> well, way back, I think it was probably in 2011, I was, I discovered, one of my readers pointed me to Dr. Purvis, and I discovered her work and started really hunting for videos and things to watch more than anything. I read The Connected Child as well, but I felt like, gosh, that doesn't seem to touch on how hard my life is in the mm-hmm. situation with my kids. And so... Um, Anyhow, I started writing about things I was learning from her and ended up meeting um, Michael and Amy Monroe, who were doing the Empowered to Connect conferences, and they were speaking with Karen, Dr. Purvis. And through my relationship with them, I ended up speaking with them for Empowered to Connect for a period of time and got to know Karen while I was doing that because, you know, there were just a small number of us speaking. And um, I had this idea for this book because... I had at my, not my fingertips, but I mean, I was so blessed and I knew it. I had Dr. Karen Purvis that I could talk to. We were working with one of the most phenomenal adoption therapists, Deborah Gray in Seattle, and she has wonderful books. I just met her the first time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had these resources that I knew not everybody had. Right, right. And I wanted to share. I was sharing a lot on my blog. But as much as I loved and respected them, they're professionals. You know, I was living it right in my home every single day. And I thought, what if we could bring this together into one book where we've got the voice of a mom who's actually living it every single day and the voice of the professional of Karen, who's a scientist, who's developed this incredible method of trust-based relational intervention. What if we could put that together? So one morning at breakfast, I just pitched it to her and I was nervous. I had no idea what she would say. And she said, well, that's a great idea. And I was sort of like, so do you mean you want to do it? <laughs> and so 
we started working on this book. And honestly, I feel like it's such a gift that we're finishing because in the midst of that, I was parenting in really hard circumstances. My kids were struggling. Um, Karen was diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And so we started writing and then things slowed down. Mm -hmm. And then she went into remission with doing much better. We were writing a lot more again. And then we were in an accident and we lost our daughter and I was very injured in the accident too. And so, um, but that almost compelled me more to finish the book. Mm. And so we were working on it and then her cancer came back. We were working on the book up until, well, I mean, I was getting emails. We were talking probably in, well, in the winter, you know, and, um, but her cancer progressed more quickly than any of us expected. And, she passed away before we had a signed contract with a publisher, which was really, really stressful. And I'm so thankful that Harvest House took it on. And um, we were able to, with some help from her assistant, we were able to pull together a lot of her work that to tie together the loose ends. Yeah. And yeah, it's nearly done. And what's really beautiful is that her family wants this published. You know, this is her last written work. And so it's, it really is an incredible honor, but I hold it very like, I need to do a good job. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is so like, important. It's like sacred. <laughs> it really does. It really does. So I, yeah. Well, I'm and working. and you touched on what I hear is the most common critique mm-hmm. from parents, which is, this is great, but she didn't live it. You know, I've heard, well, Karen Purvis never blah, 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 blah. And so to be able to bring both perspectives together, I think is going to be a huge gift to our community. I'm always excited when voices that I love to hear write books, but this is different. This feels different. This feels like <laughs> that, that we've been needing and waiting for. So you don't have a title, do you? Well, we did have a working title, but I've given it a lot of thought and I want to talk with the publisher and see okay. a little bit, oh, but bummer. yeah, but it, it basically the, the main part about it is it's, this is the real life strategies for connected parenting. That's not the title, but that's the, that's the gist of what I want people to know is like, and, and I screw it up. I was not always perfect by any means, but, um, you know, this is living it really living. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. All right. A little less exciting and relates much less to me. What are you eating? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are talking just days before Thanksgiving. So, um, we're not eating anything super exciting right now, but we are about to. And we have, my adult kids are starting to roll in. My kids range oh, in age fine. now from 31 down to 12. So we have some of our adult kids coming home. And the biggest new thing is I think I'm going to try Joanna Gaines' homemade stuffing recipe. I just found it a couple of days ago, and that's going to be the new thing on the table, I think. Nice. And I guess with how many kids you have, you don't, you're not inviting like aunts and uncles and grandparents. I mean, you guys take up a table. <laughs> well, we don't live near any of our family. Our closest okay. family is in Seattle. So that's about six, five and a half hours away. But we will have um, our friends, our kids bring friends and it's always a big, yeah, everything's big in our house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and <laughs> as you have like a fluid family, I'm sure it just gets more and more fluid. <laughs> and more yes, it will show up and. It really does. It really does. So I just have to remain very flexible. If it gets to be more than about 15, we will go not, we will do buffet style. Like we can do 14 around the table pretty well, but once it goes over that, it gets a little hard. That's fun. My brother 
We're both foster and adoptive parents. So we sometimes have 11 or 12. Right now we only have eight, but the oldest is is nine. So we actually <laughs> feed the kids around the table, send them downstairs, don't come up, leave us alone. And then we all get to sit around the table together. That's great. That's yeah. fun. All right. What are you reading? I am reading, right now I'm reading Half Broke Horses by, I think it's Jeanette Walls. She wrote okay, The Glass I'm- Castle. Okay. I do know that. She wrote The Glass Castle. Yeah. Great book. And um, this she wrote is her grandmother's story. And I wasn't sure I was going to love it, but I've definitely been pulled in. It's very interesting. Okay. Are you a a fiction reader more than a nonfiction? I found that you send you their books a lot and you end up reading like, okay, I've read 400 books on foster care and adoption now. Do you end up reading a lot of nonfiction? I read a lot of nonfiction. I generally, actually... To be honest, I'm listening to Half Broke Horses because okay. I find I enjoy fiction. I can listen to fiction. I listen to a lot of nonfiction too. But nonfiction, for the most part, I want to be holding the book and underlining, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on what it is. So fiction is more of a, a pleasure, you know? Yeah. And so I listen to it when I'm exercising or driving, things like that. Fun. Okay, yeah. what are you watching? Well, Russ and I were very hooked on Madam Secretary on Netflix. Have you seen it? No. So who is that? It's a, I, I, I can picture who it is. Who's the female actress? Do you see her name? Tia Leone? Is that her name? Okay. Okay. That, oh, yeah. That, I, yeah, yeah. Tia Leone. I love Tia, okay. her. She is a yeah. great actress. Yes. And the actor who plays her husband is great too. And, you know, it's really interesting because she's a secretary of state, but they have a great marriage. And where do you ever see that on TV? Where do you ever see that? So we really enjoy just the dynamics in their family. And yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great show. I like it. I'm always hesitant to recommend because I recommended in my, my (laughs) newsletter, my email newsletter, I recommended the crown and the very next episode was wildly inappropriate. (laughs) The only inappropriate episode in the whole two seasons. And it, I was like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I just recommended that. I, it's such a hard thing because everyone has different standards and different, I, I've been recommending Instant Family because mm-hmm. you have to see it. It's, yeah. I think that you'll love it. Um, but right away I started getting all the language and all the content. So right away I'm like, okay, do a video. Don't bring your children. Mm-hmm. I'm going to actually do spoiler alerts to tell you the content. It's so hard because when you enjoy something you tell other people about it. But yeah, I've gotten backlash on, on recommending things many times. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're really sensitive, you won't like half broke horses either, but um, you know, it's memoir. Well, it's, I guess it's more biography, but it's, it's a true story. So it is what it is. Right. Exactly. You can't edit that out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are you listening to? Well, books, when I, when I'm alone, I listen to books. I don't like to make my kids wait so I can pause it over and over, you know, like, I don't want to have earbuds in my ears when the kids are around. So if the kids are around, I listen more. Honestly, I like to listen to worship music. A lot of it, it keeps my head in a good space. Um, yeah. You know? What's your song right now? <laughs> mm, New Wine by Hillsong. Oh, I don't know that. I think that would. And then there's another one. Oh, goodness. I'm not going to be able to tell you who it is. Well, I won't be able to remember, but New Wine is one of my- for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll just break into song right here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love, there are so many songs I love, honestly. All right. This, I, we have to do this again because 
this is one of the hardest conversations that I've had because I'm glossing over every question I want to ask you because there is just so much to your story. But I'm so glad for what you were able to share today. Can you tell my listeners where they can find you? And actually, wait, fun fact before you do that. When I first started blogging, I wrote something and it, um, you know, it went viral and then I started the blog and I think that I reached out to you You and said, yeah, I would love to guest post. You're a blog that I read with. And your blog was the very first blog that I ever did a guest post on. Oh, I'm so honored. That's so great. Now that you're, now that you're wildly famous, that's pretty cool. (laughs) I loved, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, these women that I, cause at the time it was two thankful moms. (laughs) Yeah. Very briefly, very briefly. Okay. Well Mm -hmm. then it was, and I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, these women that I totally love and follow. And so tell us where, um, where listeners can follow you. Okay. They can find me at onethankfulmom.com. That's my blog. I've been blogging there since 2006. So uh, every once in a while, someone will tell me they've gone back and read the entire thing, which I should do myself because I'm sure there are things I would change um, or edit for sure. Um, So onethankfulmom.com. I'm One Thankful Mom on Instagram. I'm One Thankful Mom on Facebook. And then this last spring, I started a new website called theadoptionconnection.com. You have to have the word the or the at the beginning. And um, I did that with my Adoption Connection partner, Melissa Corkum. She is an adult adoptee as well as an adoptive mom. So together we formed the triad, which is kind of cool right. and fun. Um But anyhow, we started that, and that's more of a resource site. So we're developing courses there. There's parent coaching, and we also have a podcast called The Adoption Connection. We would love for people to come listen to that, too. Yes. Well, yeah, and you might find me on there, too. Oh, you will. (laughs) You will definitely be hearing Jamie if you come to The Adoption Connection podcast. Great. Lisa, this was such a great conversation. I, I feel just so encouraged and you really built my faith just not just by your story, which is unique and beautiful, but really just by your perspective and, and how big your God is that that's what's carried you through this all. So thank you so much for sharing with us and thank you just for your, your beautiful heart. Well, thank you for having me. It's been, it's really been a joy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the real mom podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. Even though the podcast is on summer break for July, we are still meeting at least weekly in the village and we'd love to have you join us. To find out more information, visit theadoptionconnection.com slash village. As a valued podcast listener, we'd like to offer you half off of your first month. Just use the code podcast when you check out. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work.
The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.